Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 23rd, 2023. It is currently 4.45 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, at this very moment, I need to say something dramatic. I need to say something that is so compelling that you you move to the edge of your seat and you're like, yes, yes, I have to keep listening. Tell me more. I need to say something right now that will grab your attention. I need to, in a sense, I got I to gotta hook you right now. I need to have some really good bait that you will reach out and grab and then I can hook you and then I can reel you in and you'll be like, oh, I have to keep listening. I have to keep listening. I, I need something right now. I need either a dramatic, I need dramatic music, maybe a dramatic voiceover. Maybe, maybe I could sell this and hype this that ladies and gentlemen, If you will stay with us, the next seven weeks are going to be transformative. They're going to be revolutionary in your life. Your life will never be the same. If you will stay with us for the next seven weeks, I promise you, you will never see anything the same ever again. You have to listen. Tell your friends. Tell everyone. Download. Save. Tell everyone. Okay. I I, I really need to sell it that way. I really need to sell it that way. But I, I'm not, I'm not good at doing the selling. I'm not good at doing the hype. I'm not, I'm not. I, I really stink at that. If you think about it, even in my preaching, I really stink at that. I'm like, like, I don't have that dramatic introduction, right? I don't, I don't. Now, there's been certain forms of podcasting where I understand that and maybe, but when it comes to really the Bible or doctrine or theology, I'm just kind of like, we're going to do this. Aren't you excited? And I know I don't know. Is that the right way to do it? Is the wrong way? I know in some ways I need to really grab your attention, but I, I don't like to oversell, right? I don't like to oversell. Like, I guess in other areas, I don't really feel like it's overselling. But when it comes to scripture, doctrine, theology, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of say, here's what we're going to do. Do you want to participate? <laughs> hey, here's what I'm going to do. Do you want to join in? Maybe? I mean, like, I don't really like... I know that like even in, in, in churches who do the typical like six-week series, seven-week series, or even if it's a two- or three-month series, you've got, you've got to hype it up, man. You've got to have that promotional video. You've got to have the dramatic music. You've got to have the PowerPoint slides. You've got to do it. You've got, you got to have the marketing. You've got to have the, the little brochures that you, you know, those little flyers that you send out, you know, that look all nice. You've got to, you've got to hype it up, and you've got to tell everyone, look, if you'll stay with us for the next seven weeks, your life will be transformed. Your marriage will be transformed. Your children will be transformed. The, the weather will be perfect. The sun will be shining. There'll be a rainbow. Well, if you probably need clouds for the rain. Okay, but you get the idea. Unicorns, birds, it's going gonna, it, gonna to be wonderful. But um, <laughs> yeah, Sunday, 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 someone just said in chat, yes, I need one of those voices. This Sunday at the Taylor County Coliseum, it's Theology Central in a stu- Okay, right, maybe, maybe that wouldn't work. Okay, the bottom line is, I know I'm supposed to sell this right now, but I'm not really going to sell it. I'm just going to tell it. And here's what we're going to do. We are about to begin a seven-week study 
in the Gospel of John. Now, if you've already listened to our preview broadcast, you'll know for basically about the next seven weeks, here's what we're going to be studying. John chapter 4, John chapter 5, John chapter 8, John chapter 9, John chapter 19, and John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at these kind of encounters with Jesus, where Jesus has an encounter with someone, and what the curriculum wants us to see is is how these encounters really, they almost want to see it as our encounters with Jesus, but we're not going to look at it from that perspective. We're going to just say, okay, do encounters happen in these texts? What happened in these encounters, and what can we learn from it? But we're going to make sure we keep the encounter about the people who encountered Jesus and not so much shove them out of the story and just, you know, rudely insert ourselves. That's not really the way that is supposed to work, right? That, that's, no, we're going to let the stories be what they are and we're going to see what we can learn from it. And we're going to be probably about six to seven weeks. Now, what I've, the mistakes I've made in the past, I'm very aware of the mistakes I've made in the past, so I don't need anyone else to tell me. I know that sometimes For the Bible study exercises, what I have a tendency to do is give you this one big assignment, right? Here's this big word study, thematic study, you know, the most comprehensive Bible study method, whatever. And so you're sitting there focusing on that. And then I'm over here going, wait, but hey, guys, why are we not talking about this passage of scripture? Hey, why are we not? And everybody's like, look, I can only do so many things. (laughs) So for this study... We're just going to each week look at one passage of scripture, not going to give you any intensive Bible study method, and we're just going to work on it. I will give you little little assignments, but nothing too big, nothing too major. So remember, the Bible study exercise, just so that you know, the Bible study exercises for those who are brand new are designed to get you off the couch to the table with a Bible, a notebook, a pencil, reference tools, and to actually study for yourself, not simply rely on someone else's study. We do this using curriculum, homework, assignments. There's a curriculum to supplement what we do. We typically don't follow the curriculum, but we follow the curriculum as what we're studying, but I don't usually go with their ideas, but I like you to have it so you hear my perspective and you hear the perspective of the curriculum. So you get two perspectives for the price of... One, and someone just said colored pens, meaning after all of this year, all the years of hard, hard, hard work, I still have people who are using pens, demonstrating my absolute failure in the world of theological podcasting. I should go back to music. I should go back to movies. I should go back to underwater basket weaving because clearly I'm not making a difference in anyone's life. All right, but that's neither here nor there. So now I'm very discouraged. I'm just going to give up. And because I can't change anyone's mind about the importance of using pencil. Okay, but all right, I digress. But are you ready? So here's the goal this afternoon, fast approaching early evening here in West Texas. Here we go. We're going to introduce, in a sense, John chapter 4, but we're not going to introduce this in the typical way, right? A typical introduction to the chapter would be, well, here's kind of the context, right? That would be a normal thing to do. Here's an outline, not going to do that. No, 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 not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to just kind of read the section that the curriculum gives us. I think 
we'll, they kind of break it up a little bit. We're going to read the entire section. And then I'm just going to go through and say, okay, here's what I want you to focus on. Here's what I want you to focus on. I want you to work on this. I want you to work on this. And I want you to work on this. I, I want to start teaching it and start digging in for you. But the Bible study exercise is really designed to get you to do some of the work. All right. All right. So hopefully, um, True, true. Someone just said that the person who wants to use color pens, it does prove uh, total depravity. It it absolutely does. There may not be anything better than proving total depravity than seeing someone doing Bible study using a pen. If that doesn't prove, okay, I'm joking, I'm joking, right? But that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through this. I hope that this will at least get everyone motivated to get started. Again, I'm not going to oversell this. We're going to be studying these these sections in John, the, the Gospel of John, John 4, John 5, John 8, John 9, John 19, and John chapter 20. If that sounds interesting to you and you want to actually study, then this is the podcast for you. If you don't, if you want to actually hear someone else do this, the teaching for you, then you're going to want to skip a lot of episodes. There will be some of that, but the goal is to get you actually studying, guiding you, Bible study exercise. I'm, I'm, and, I, and I call it Bible study exercise because the goal is, you don't typically just watch people exercise, right? I mean, I guess maybe you could. It wouldn't really be that entertaining. Exercise is designed for you to participate, right? Not just to listen. So we want you to participate. So are you ready? John chapter four. We're going to start in verse three. We'll just start in verse one, even though verse one and two kind of we, we really need to look at uh, verses one and two in relation to our study on baptism in the early church. But for now, we'll just at least read it for context. John chapter four, verse one, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So when Therefore, the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, uh, even though he didn't baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, there's a, we, could, we could start right there with something I want you to work on, but I'm not going to ask you to do that right now. We're just going to set that aside, All right? Here we go. Verse, we'll start, we'll say verse three is the beginning of our text for the next week as we work on this, right? A little, a little, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a little longer than a week because we're starting early. So here we go. You need, if you got something to write with, here we go. I'm going to point out what I want you to work on. Here we go. John chapter four. So verse three, he left Judea and departed again unto, into Galilee. All right, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I could give you some assignments there, but I'm not. Here we go. Verse four. And he must needs go through Samaria. And he must needs go through Samaria. If we read this in a different translation, I'm going to grab one right here. It reads like this. In another translation, it reads like this, if I can find it. All right, here we go. Um, the, uh, another translation says this. He left Judea, went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. He must needs, he had to. He must needs, he had to. Now, if you've listened to sermons on John chapter four, 
If you've, I don't care what church you go to, you know the pastors usually make a big deal. He must needs go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Someone almost without fail is going to latch on to that. And they're going to, they're going to start extrapolating and adding and, and really kind of in, in some cases, I feel like embellishing, but they're really going to try to almost allegorize it into something that it says about you or me, but he must need. So here's what I want you to consider. Here's, here's the first thing you're going to be work on. You can just write down must needs, John chapter four, verse four, he must needs, or how, how does the text actually say it? And he must needs, I just put down must needs, John four, four. Now here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about this, right? Got to put your thinking caps on here. I know it preaches good, and I'm sorry I'm getting ready to destroy lots of sermons. <laughs> but here's my question. When the text says he must needs go through Samaria, was there, a, was there something special, something about this saying that he must needs go there versus all the other places he went, right? Like in one way, I guess what I'm trying to say is, Wherever Jesus went, wasn't he going where he needed to go based off following the will of the Father? Or was he just, you know, arbitrarily roaming around aimlessly and then all of us like, okay, I must needs go through Samaria, right? Like I've been kind of just wandering around from place to place, but now, 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 now we have a specific place to go. In other words, was this not just as much a part of the divine will of the Father? Was this not just as much a part of the divine predetermined plan as all the other places he went? Or was there something really unique here? Most people preach it like, no, he had to go here. But wasn't every place he went divinely appointed or was just this place divine it almost as if like it's almost preached as if like this one was divinely appointed now you could argue why does the text so stress that he had to go through Samaria why did the text go now everyone says he had to go through Samaria he had to because it was appointed for him to meet the woman he's going to meet in this encounter now did he have to go through Samaria because he had to meet with this woman, or did he have to go through Samaria because, well, the whole reason he left Judea and departed again into Galilee? Like, was there a reason he was going this direction? Because remember how the text says, in fact, I'm going to read it from, again, a different translation. I'm just just throwing, again, my job is to get you thinking. My job is to get you thinking. That's all my job is to do here for the Bible study exercise, not necessarily to give you answers. Look, look at uh, how it reads in a different translation. John 4, 1. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again into Galilee. Now, it sounds like there was a reason he left Judea to go into Galilee because the Pharisees have heard this. In other words, was he worried? Oh no, they're going to be upset. This could create problems. Time to go to Galilee. And was it possible that he decided to go from Judea to Galilee into Samaria because maybe the Pharisees would not be in Samaria? They wouldn't even go there. And he would, whatever drama was building, whatever issue was, he could escape that. I, I know that's not as romanticized 
And as powerful as saying, he must needs to go through Samaria because it was appointed for him to meet the woman at the well. Was it more practical implications? Hey, look, they heard that I'm baptizing more than they are. They're not going to be happy about this, right? Or or, or, baptize, um, in fact, as, as it says, he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Once he realized, wait, he's baptizing, making more disciples than John, then he thought maybe that's going to possibly, I'm just throwing out conjecture here. Remember, hypotheses, we can test this. Does he possibly go, hmm, this could be a problem. Okay, we're going to go. And going into Samaria would get him far away from the Pharisees, right? I mean, are the Pharisees going to go into Samaria? I'm just throwing that. I know we all preach it like he had to go to meet the woman at the well. Is he going because of practical issues, everyday real life issues, and he just happens to be there? And when we say happen, no, obviously everywhere he goes is divinely appointed. So like, how do we, how do we process this so that we don't so romanticize the text? That we literally miss the meaning of the text. Oh, I know. I just made everyone mad. But that's what I want you to work on. That's what I want you to work on. That's the first thing. He must needs. I want that conversation to be. And if you look, if you got scriptures that you say, no, the text is clear right here. It proves that that was why he went through Samaria was to meet the woman. If you got that, that's fine. But I want you to at least consider it. My job is just to throw out ideas to get you thinking so that you'll be studying the text and not just listening to everyone tell you what it, because pastors always preach that. He must needs to go through Samaria. And then it becomes a four-point sermon on evangelism and how you must needs be willing to go here, you know, and that's how it's preached. I like to sometimes challenge that, right? He must needs go through Samaria. So the first thing he must needs, the second thing I want you to look at is Samaria. I want you to just look up Bible, two or three Bible dictionaries. What does it have to say about Samaria? What, what's the big deal about Samaria? I mean, the text seems to be making it like he had to go through Samaria. Like, almost like it's a big deal. Like, he had to. Now, the, everyone can debate why he had to, because everyone typically preaches it. He had to because he had a divine appointment with the woman at the well. But is it possible that he had to because he, he thought the Pharisees were getting upset? Either way, the text clearly seems to be emphasizing he's going to Samaria. It's almost like you're reading it and you're like, he went where? He's going where? No, he's not. No, no, no. Don't tell me he's going to Samaria. Don't tell me that's where he's going. No way. Like, is, is the, is the, like, is the reader supposed to go, wait, guys, guys, he went where? Wait, Jesus went to Samaria? Is, is that kind of the reaction that it's supposed to get from the readers? Like, but like the original readers, not us, like us, we're like, he went to Samaria. Who cares? It's like, he went to the corner store. Who cares? But if we put it in our context, you know, sometimes uh, when, when I was in the military, we would get these emails saying, listen, all United States military personnel, you're not allowed to travel to this region or this region or this region. You cannot go there, not for vacation. You can't go there for any reason because of some top possible terrorist threat or whatever. You can't go. You can't go. You can't go. And, and all of a sudden you find out somebody went, wait, they went where? They're not supposed to be going. Why are they going there? Right? Why? 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 What are they doing? 
Why are they going there? <laughs> right? Does that that make sense? Right? It's like when I one time I was in uh, in the military in in New York City and there were serious threats upon the airplane that we were on, serious threats. And they were like nobody is leaving this airplane for anything. We may be sitting here on the runway for who knows how long, but we're not we're not getting off this airplane. We were at a civilian airport. They're like nobody, nobody can leave. And it would be like, wait, where where's Bob? Where Bob 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 went where? Like he's in the air. Why did he get off the airplane? That that's is that I think that's kind of what we're supposed to do here, right? He's he went to Samaria. So what I want you to do is read three, you try to find a, a number of Bible dictionaries and just summarize what's the big deal about Samaria? What's the deal with Samaria? He must needs, and then the next thing I want you to do. It's like Samaria. What was the big deal? Now, I know you've heard sermons that tell you the Jews and this. I know you've heard lots, but just forget all the sermons. Look for yourself. And I want you to look in multiple sources to see if there's agreement. Because if you find like three Bible dictionaries are like, there's not a problem. But you find one that's like, whoa, there was an issue. Then we'll have to try to figure that out. All right. So he must needs. That's the first thing I want you to look at. Go through Samaria. What was the big deal about Samaria? Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Sychar, Sychar, S-Y-C-H-A-R, Sychar. I want you to look up Sychar and what, what do we know about that city? It's in Samaria. We know that. Is there anything significant about Sychar? Anything. What, what, what do we know about it? Am I even saying it correctly? I mean, you, can, you can look that up too. Okay, just, just have a little fun with it, right? Sychar, yeah, I want you to look that up. Okay, so number, number one, he must needs. I, I really hope that leads to a good discussion. I hope that leads, I've given you a good discussion. I mean, come on, it's Thursday night. You have nothing else to do. Sit around and get the family together and say, he must needs. Why did he have to go through Samaria? And then let everyone get a whiteboard and half the family can pick one reason. The other half of the family can pick the other reason. And then you have a fight until someone decides that you're right. Okay, I'm joking. All right, here we go. Number two. So there he must needs. Number two, Samaria. Look up Samaria, see what everyone can find out about Samaria. Number three, Sychar, right? Near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Okay, the next thing I want you to work on, Jacob's well. Jacob's well. What's the, is there any significance to Jacob's well? What, how many times does Jacob's well appear in scripture? Is it the same Jacob's well? Do interesting things happen at Jacob's well? Just how many times is it mentioned? What interesting things are there? Is there what just anything you can find out about Jacob's well? All right, that's pretty good. All right, he must needs Samaria, Sychar, Jacob's well, and then next, look at this. Something happens here. I'm hitting the microphone, but that's okay. All right, here we go. Then, then, uh, then come verse five, John chapter four, verse five. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I could give you something to do there, but I will not. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. 
for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, the next thing I want you to see now right there tells me if they have no dealings with the Samaritans, that means the Pharisees would not have followed Jesus there. They would have, they would have stayed out of that area. That's what it seems to me, right? Hey, he, he's leaving an area because he knows the Pharisees have figured out that he's in a sense gaining more disciples. And then he ends up in Samaria. I think he must needs to go through maybe to get away from the Pharisees. I'm at least throwing that out as hypothesis, hypotheses. And she seems to confirm the fact, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you here? Why are you talking to me, Jews and Samaritans? We don't get along. So here's what I need you to do. First, he must needs. I want you to think about that. Number two, Samaria. What's the big deal? Number three, Sychar. What's the big deal? Number four, Jacob's well. Number five, Jews versus the Samaritans. What's the, what's the beef? What's the issue with the Jews versus the Samaritans? What's, what's the issue? What's the drama? What, what, what's going down? All right, what's going down? I'm going to look at something really quick just to make sure no one's asking me any questions. Make sure I'm not missing any brilliant comments. I've got to open up my iPad here. Open up one of the apps so I can see what people saying in chat. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, good. All right, good. All right. Uh, so we're still good. We're still good. I've missed, I only missed one comment, I think. All right. No, I think it's on the computer. Okay. Sometimes I can see when it's on the computer. Sometimes it's not. So I bring up it on the iPad, which right, is right next to me. All right. So let's go through these again. Everybody ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. He must needs. I want your opinion. I want your perspective. What is your interpretation of he must needs go through Samaria? Number two, Samaria. What is the big deal about Samaria? Right? Why do we not talk about Samaria? Number three, Sychar. What's, what's, what's the significance of that? Jacob's well. Is there some significance to this well? Next, uh, Jews versus Samaritans. What's the issue? What's the beef? What's the problem? And then next, here we go. Back to the text. Here we go. All right, then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria uh, unto him, How is it that thou, bring it, being a Jew, ask, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given them, given thee living water. He would have given thee living water. Now, I did not originally have this one written down, but I'm going to write this one down here, okay? Living water. Now, when it refers to living water, what is that a reference to? Like, hey, if you knew, let me read that again. 
if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. What is this living water? Like, I want you to try to define it as clearly as you can. What is the living water? Is it salvation alone or is it something else? Is it just salvation? Is it just an an, an illustrative term? In other words, the term, we don't need to push it we don't need to try to take it all the way. We just, it's a generally just saying, if you, if he's utilizing a physical thing to represent something spiritual, and he's just using the concept of water to say, I would have given the living water, meaning salvation. Or do you think it has something more involved? All right. Verse 11, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She once again is seeing it from a very literal perspective. Wait a minute. You don't even have anything to dip down into the well. That's why you're just sitting here. You're waiting for someone to come along who has something that can dip down into the well because you're thirsty. And and now and you don't even have anything to draw with. So where is this living water coming from? Because she, she's seeing it as a, as a physical, not in a spiritual way. Are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She's like, wait a minute, you got living water? She clearly knows that there's something about this living water that supposedly is different than the actual water. So there's some way she just, she can't, she's trying to figure it out, but she's like, are you claiming to be greater than Jacob? Then Jesus said, here we go, um, um, the, verse 13, John 4, 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Now he, he's pointing to the physical water. You drink of that, you're going to thirst again. You're going to be thirsty. You're going to drink, you're going to be thirsty. You're going to drink, you're going to be thirsty. You're going to drink, you're going to be thirsty. You're going to drink, you're going to be thirsty. Verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst now, what I want to, what the next thing I want you to consider is this. How do we drink? Hey, if you drink of this, you're never going to thirst. What does Jesus mean by drinking? What does he mean by drinking? Obviously, he's using an illustration. The drinking then illustrates what idea? Drinking is equal to, okay, you, you should be able to get that. That, that should be easy, all right? Then I'm going to write down the ne- next one. Never thirst. Never thirst. Now that one, this is where, for me, and all of my years of reading and teaching, I've preached through the Gospel of John, school, this one has always been the one that has intrigued me the most at at early parts of my Christian life. Because he says, whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And typically how this is preached is, look, You can run all over the world and you can find all the wells and you can find something to dip down in the well and you can drink of it. And it may be cool and it may be refreshing and it may bring you great pleasure and it may be the greatest thing you've ever drank in your life, but you will thirst again. So stop running around looking for all the wells. You just need to take a drink of the living water and you will never thirst again. That's how it's preached. 
So I'm like, okay, I will never thirst again. Once I get Jesus, that's it. I will never want anything else. I will be happy, content, satisfied. I won't need anything. I'll be more than happy to just live in a little log cabin in the middle of nowhere with no entertainment, no interaction, because all I need is Jesus. All I need is my Bible and Jesus, and I'll be perfectly happy and satisfied. And I hate to say it, I'm going to quote you too, all right? I'm going to quote the band, you too. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? Now, you read those lyrics to that song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. People say, oh, how dare it? No, once you drink the living water, you'll never thirst again. And Bono and you too seems to be like, uh, no, I'm not so, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I found what I'm looking for yet. So when it says, I will never thirst again, what do we mean, I will never thirst again? What does that mean? Does that mean perfect, absolute contentment? That you don't need anything. You don't need it. You don't need anything. You don't, you don't, I mean, you're all you, I mean, obviously you need food and water. You you need your basic necessities. But other than that, you can just live your life completely alone because you have Jesus. The only problem is I hear a lot of Christians who seem to preach it that way, but you look at their lives and like, you sure seem to need a lot of things. You seem to need friends. You need to seem this. You need to, you need community. You need encouragement. You need someone to support you. You need someone to understand your need, your 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 desires and your dreams and your hopes and aspirations. Wait a minute! I thought you should never thirst again. So, what does it mean to never thirst again? What what does that actually mean? Because typically, the way it's preached, no one in the congregation is living that way. But everyone in the in the sermon is like, amen, amen, never thirst again, amen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you, you, all, you, you've got plenty of things, meaning you seem to c- continue to thirst for lots of things other than Jesus. But Jesus says, if you drink, we got to figure out what the drinking is, you'll never thirst again. But then we continue, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I think maybe there we're getting, I think there we're getting a, a, kind of a hint. I think we're kind of giving a hint. Now, if we read it from a different translation, I keep closing the other translation. Don't know why, but I keep doing so. But here we go. If we look at this, all right, I'm going to read uh, John 4, John four thirteen in this translation. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Now, I think that never thirst again is answered right there. I really do think that that's your clue. But what does it mean that now you're going to have a well, right? This well, uh, as he says it, you're going to have, um, let's see here, where is it? You're going to have a well of water spring up into, into you. What does it mean that we have a well of water now springing up in us? That if we will drink, not only do we get never, never thirst again, we're going to have this well of water. What, where is this well of water? Like, what, what, do we, what is the illustration Jesus is trying to give us? It seems to be that as you need a well to find water in that region, well, now the well of living water is going to be inside of you, so you're never going to have to look anywhere again, which seems to go back to the fact that you're never going to thirst. Why are you never going to thirst? Because the well is inside of you. But what does it mean that we're never going to thirst? I think, I think that gives you the answer right there. I really think it, it gives you the answer of what you're not going to be thirsting for. 
All right. Now, but wait, there's more. Here we go. We got one more. There's a lot more we could add, but there's one more I really want you to work on. Here we go. The woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now she is thinking, I think she's thinking physically, right? I think in a sense, she's like, hey, give me this water. I'll never have to come all the way back here to get it. Because you have to imagine how frustrating that would be, right? I mean, how irritated do we get when we're like, oh man, we're out of what? Okay, I'll get in the car and I'll go. Oh man, oh, we're out of what? Okay, let me Instacart it. Okay, let me DoorDash it. Oh, how frustrating. Like for us, we're like, we got we to gotta get in our car that's climate controlled to drive somewhere or we have to grab our phone and order it. And we're so frustrated. Imagine that you're like, Mom, I'm thirsty. <sighs> Let me walk three miles to the well. Let me get so I'm... She's like, yeah, tell me how I can get this water so I can stop coming here. I think she's still seeing it in a very physical way. Verse 16, but Jesus said unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said I have no husband because you've had five husbands. And he whom thou now, now hast is not thy husband and thou didst, and thou saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in the mountains, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place wherein men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in the mountain, in this mountain, nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, this verse is quoted so frequently. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Spirit and in truth. What does that phrase mean? Some people think spirit there refers to the Holy Spirit, meaning we have to worship him in the Holy Spirit and truth. Others are like, no, that's not referencing the Holy Spirit. It means we must worship him in our spirit and in truth. In other words, worship has to be according to truth. It can't just be according to emotion, feelings, or whatever you want, but it has to be a worship that comes from inside of us. In other words, it can't just be with our mouth. It can't just be with our lips. It can't just be with our hands. It can't just be with our body. It It can't just be with our emotions. It has to be, our spirit has to be involved. So when we worship in spirit and truth, is that Holy Spirit or is that my spirit? And what does that mean? And that is your assignment. So let's go through them. Must needs. Must needs go through Samaria. Why, 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 why did he need to go through Samaria? I know what the standard answer is. I just, I gave you now possible something else to consider. Samaria. What's, what's the story about Samaria? Why do we not talk about Samaria? Right? Sychar, what's the deal with Sychar? Jacob's well, what's the big deal about Jacob's well? Jews versus Samaritans, what was the big deal about Jews versus Samaritans? 
living water. What is the living water? What is the living water? Now, I know Jesus is using an illustration here, but when we get, we don't need to push it too far. Just what is the living water? How do we drink of the living? What does it mean to drink of the living water? What does it mean that we will never thirst again? What, what exactly does that mean? What is this well of water that kind of will spring up in us? What, what does it mean that we have this well of water in us? And in spirit and truth. What does it mean that we are called to worship God in spirit and in truth? That gets you started for a week of study in John 4. Here's what I would ask you to do. I really would. Please, if you have the Version Bible app, just go to John 4. There's a little speaker in the top right-hand corner. In fact, it's very simple. I'll just show you. I'll just show you really quick. I'm going to go to the Version Bible app right here. Version Bible app. I'm in John chapter 4. Okay, hang on. I got to I gotta get rid of, I got to turn myself off from speaking. Or are you going to listen to me? All right, here we go. Version Bible app. I'm still hearing myself. Right. There we go. Now I close that out. Now the Version Bible app. Now I open up to John chapter 4. There's a little speaker on the right-hand side. And look what happens when I hit play. John 4. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of grapes. Sychar. I say Sychar. Sychar. See, I told you. See, I told you. Was I saying it right? Is it Sychar? Sychar? How, how should we say it? I come from West Texas, and whatever we say is right, okay? So I don't care. Okay? <laughs> but I, remember I told you? Was I saying it right? See? I threw that out there for you. All right? But there you go. And what I want you to do, though, is just listen to it over. If you have the Blue Letter Bible app, you can, you can set it to read the chapter to you seven times. There you go. Just listen. Just for the next week, live in John chapter 4. Live in this encounter. Live in this encounter with Jesus and this woman from Samaria, the woman from Sychar, Sychar, however you want to say it. Just sit there and just live in it. In a sense, pun intended, drink it in until that this encounter becomes a part of you. You know it forwards, backwards. You know it inside and out. And then we can see what we can derive from it. But I gave you the things to look for. Must needs. Well, what do we do with that? Samaria. Sikar. Sikar. Jacob's well. Jews versus Samaritans. Living water. How do we drink? Never thirst? The well of water inside of us and spirit and truth. Now, what I hope is that you will discuss these things more than just look things up and write them down on paper. Like, that's great that you look them up and you have a summary. I mean, I do want you to do that, but I want you to have good conversations about it and discuss it. Because so many times when I listen to sermons, so many times that, that this is the kind of stuff they just, they're so bent on the sermon that they got, so like, you know, they look at John 4, oh, this is about evangelism. This is three points on how to do evangelism. This is four points about how to do evangelism. And then they, all these other very, I think, interesting things in the text just gets overlooked. So it's more about preaching 
an agenda, preaching a, 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 an, almost an ideological point more than it is than preaching the text. The text, you would be asking these questions, right? Don't you think, in, if, you're, if anyone's looking at this text at all, don't you think you're going to go, well, why did he have to go into Samaria? Well, pastors, because they're so preoccupied with their agenda, that they just immediately say, oh, he had to go through Samaria because of evangelism, right? They just immediately associate it with that. And I'm calling that into question, right? Now, typically they will talk about Samaria. Typically they will talk about Sychar. Typically they will say something about Jacob's well. So we're not doing anything too unique there. But I just want you to just look at these things so that you can understand the text, the text, not an agenda, not a sermon, but the text. All right. I almost, see, now I feel like I need to teach. See, I, I always hate these episodes because when I'm done, I'm like, well, I didn't really do anything. But, but that's the goal. The goal is not for me to do everything. The goal is to get you now off the couch and go, okay, well, I'm getting to the table. All right, let's do this tonight, right? I want people going, let's, let's work on this tonight. There we go. And of course, in the Discord channel, work on it there. Talk about it there. John chapter four. That's where we're going to be for the next week plus. You'll be hearing uh, some of this. Uh, you may hear show up in the Today's Focus podcast episodes. You may hear some of this show up in a sermon at Victory Baptist Church. You may hear this show up in a podcast episode. But for the next week plus, that's what we're going to be working on, John chapter 4. Typically, I would be introducing this on Sunday. It's Thursday. So you're getting a, you're getting a major head start. Now, what's going to happen is some people are going to go through this relatively quick, and by Tuesday or Wednesday, you're going to be like, ah, I'm already done with that. I'll wait for the next chapter. Keep at least listening to it, be read to you, at least keep reading it and talking about it, because that's when the text really becomes a part of you. All right. All right. I, I see. I, this is where I wish I was in front of people, because someone would be like, well, what about this? Or what about somebody would raise their hand and ask a question. But see, I got I, I got nothing here. I'm just in an empty room looking at nothing. All right. Let me look here. I'm going to go make sure I didn't miss anything. In the chat, I had to close I had to close out the chat because. Uh, well, I, because it was going to play my voice preaching. All right. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, John, chapter four is now yours. Please engage it, study it, live in it, think about it. And hopefully I've challenged maybe some of your preconceived presuppositions. We need to throw those out and look at the text anew and fresh and try to find out exactly what's being said by the words that are being used and not bring an agenda to the text. Let the text bring, let the text give us that's always the danger. Preaching so much is imposing an idea on the text. Oh, I got to have a sermon, so I'm going to impose evangelism on the text. Where just Let's just study the text and whatever arises from the text, that will be the agenda. I'm not going to impose something on it. I'm going to allow the text to bring me to it. All right, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. If you've never contacted us before and you're going you're gonna to participate in this study in John for the next six or seven weeks, we love to hear like, where are you listening from? How are you listening? How did you discover us? And I, because we like to know people are participating in the Bible study exercises. Those numbers I get on analytics 
uh, and my analytics, they're just numbers on a screen. They don't tell me anything. So I like knowing, oh, so-and-so is, they're, di- they're digging in. So, but if we can be of any assistance, let us know. All right, John chapter four, that's your, that's your homework. Get started for the next week plus. Let's live in John chapter four and let's live in this encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. Again, email me newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.